guess what? It's not just in Morocco. <laughs> oh my god. It's everywhere. Okay. Cool. Are we recording? How's it going? What's new with you? Um, I just recently got back from a trip to Morocco, which was awesome. I loved it. Um, I was in Esuera in Marrakesh, and I had so much fun just like exploring all the markets, just looking at all of the architecture, eating all of the couscous, all of the bread. They like throw bread at you over there. Like every meal, it's like bread, bread, bread with a side of bread. And somehow I came back having lost weight, which was cool. Um, yeah, the trip was amazing. Uh, I would say like the one thing that stood out to me is a little troubling was just the street harassment, which I was informed about ahead of time was kind of a thing there. And I was like, ah, whatever. I mean, I live in like New York. We get harassed all the time on the street. But there it's like on another level. I mean, it is a majority like Muslim country. Um, depending on where you are, if you're not covered uh, as a female, you are targeted more by these men that are occupying and dominating the public spaces. So thankfully, I was traveling with a man who I would be like, hey, like hold my hand. So I didn't look like I was alone. But there were a few girls. We were actually traveling in a group and we went to this music festival, which was awesome. But at night, when one of the girls was like walking back to her hotel, she just kind of got like accosted by a group of guys who just like would not leave her alone they followed her back to her hotel it was just like street harassment in bushwick has nothing on street harassment in morocco so that was like the only like intimidating part of my trip but otherwise loved it definitely want to go back did you ride a camel though i did i did ride a camel it was amazing we were all very excited there were 40 of us on a caravan of camels going down the beach if you can so imagine what this looked like we're all very pumped one girl did get thrown from a camel which was kind of scary and the camel totally like made a run for it and tried to go like you know just like live for the rest of the caravan and i felt like they were probably all like cheering them on like yeah man like <laughs> go on but uh but somebody somebody was able to catch the camel so after that we were all like very nice we stroked our camels we were like we wouldn't like you know dig into them too hard with our heels or anything but uh that was pretty cool and I very much appreciate how difficult it probably was to like, travel so far in camel because traveling a quarter of a mile was pretty brutal <laughs> in the wind. How were the uh, artisanal goods of the space? I mean, you got you got to sample some. <laughs> I um, sure did. Cute shoes. One of my favorite things when I travel is, of course, just to find out like what's made locally you know, what is native to the place that I'm traveling. And I found when I travel in like South America and Europe, you know, they'll, I'll find amazing things. But then there's a lot of like imports, like things that aren't made there that are made to look like they're from there. And when I was going through Morocco, it's like everything is made there. There are these amazing, you know, the rugs, oils, spices, leather goods, shoes, like everything. I was like, <laughs> I bought an extra bag to bring back like, home decor for my friends and stuff let's just say i was in heaven i have lots of <laughs> new moroccan jewelry that i'm very excited to wear and uh how, how did you like your shoes tina i love them they're the best cool but yeah so i'm back my morning was disrupted today by a fine young gentleman who was griping to his trainer at the gym 
because he was feeling bad about his wife quitting her job that she liked a lot because their mornings were just too conflicted and they had to he has to wake up at 6 a.m and be done in the shower so she can get in at 6 30 and it just all sounded very 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 hard obviously and so she's quitting her job to take care of the kids what <laughs> but they're also hiring an au pair <laughs> which it was kind of funny because the trainer had no idea what that was because like who knows what an au pair is <laughs> who, who has that life but he was trying to justify it and say that you know it's not really that expensive it's not as much as you think it is and also we're doing her a favor we're really gonna offer her a much better life because she's colombian and we're gonna bring her here and just change her world because everything in colombia is terrible duh is this a real thing <laughs> it was so real i wish it was not but you know i was just dumbfounded by this idea that as the woman you have to stay home with the kids and sacrifice your life and your pleasure because that's what a woman does and the guy could have as quickly quit his job as she did but the trainer really like rounded the conversation out in a positive way because he was just like wow man like men really are the worst and the guy was like what are you talking about and he's like women have been complaining for years that they have to do everything and you just <laughs> not only did you just prove them right like you are the reason why they say those things <laughs> can i just say i love that the trainer like risked potentially losing a client to just make a very true and very authentic point and props to that trainer big where, big shout he, out he trains that shout out to that Keep guy real. and like shout out to the fact that yeah not every man is the worst but holy shit like that's a terrible scenario to be in to be asked to just like sacrifice everything that you may want or dream because somebody else is like meh ginger rolls go <laughs> ridiculous by the way obviously the comment about the au pair having a much better life here than she would in columbia that's like completely messed up but if you can afford an au pair like if you are at that level where you can afford someone to look after your kids like why why does your wife need to stay home <laughs> like quitter i don't i had the same thought yeah but that shower in the morning man gotta happen later speaking of gender roles Today we're uh, we're about to dive right into a world that just plays with all of them, and I am so excited. We're gonna talk about drag first and foremost, drag in New York, which has been around for centuries, but truly became an art form in the mid twentieth century. Drag, as we know it, really developed in the late seventies and early eighties in the Harlem, predominantly POC ballroom community. So many of the slang terms that straight women use now, including yas, shade, and slay, have roots in these communities. I'm guilty. <laughs> uh, Huffington Post has a really great article uh, titled, Here's the Real Origin of the Word Yas. And it's something that I think we'll include in the byline of this episode, actually. Appropriation runs rampant as drag is consumed by mainstream straight white audiences. And, you know, these ballrooms were safe spaces at one point that queer people of color were forced to create as buffers from racism, homophobia, and sexual violence. Queer POCs are also often forgotten in the LGBTQ rights narrative 
they occupy what's called a dual minority status, which means, you know, they're twice as oppressed. <laughs> Vice has a really great article also called How Queer People of Color Combating Sexual Racism. I highly suggest you read it. It's super informative. And, you know, blacks are more likely to identify as LGBT than any other race, but the general black population is less LGBT friendly than any other race. So it's definitely something that impacts me and that I've experienced as like a queer woman of color, but even more so, I think queer male presenting, male identifying people of color definitely experience a lot more discrimination. We have a really amazing guest today that I'm so excited to introduce, Donald Shorter. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Donald. Um, before we hop in, I actually wanted to ask, what are your preferred pronouns? My preferred gender pronouns are he and she. Okay, great. So we will use them interchangeably as this goes on. <laughs> Donald is a New York-based LGBTQ activist, dancer, singer, choreographer, and drag queen. All of the things. Come through. Yes. <laughs> um, he's danced with several prominent New York dance companies. He's performed in Broadway productions, such as Hairspray, and he has an MFA in dance from NYU. Uh, Donald also choreographed a one-woman show called Genderosity, which is a 70-minute solo performance where he dissects his experience of drag and the transformation process going from a boy to his alter ego, Francesca. He has a boutique video production company called Glitterazzi Productions that specializes in highlighting the other and, you know, other stories, people that might get overlooked. So excited to have you, Donald. Thank you for having me. This is so dope. <laughs> what does the other mean to you? For me, I think when working in video production, I feel that commercial visibility is for like cis heteronormative people so I wanted to create a space where people in the LGBTQIA communities who weren't considered mainstream could have a platform where they could you know be visible and tell their stories and just exist in a way that was just positive. And what motivated you to explore medium of dance first and foremost and what kind of obstacles did you face as this journey has evolved for you. Yeah, I didn't start dancing till I was 19. And I saw Alvin Ailey perform at City Center here in New York City wow. back in like 1999. And I started dancing in college. A friend, I befriended a former ballerina dancer. I went to school like for respiratory therapy and communications. You know, she was like, you have an interest for dance. And she was like, there's this dance company on campus that's starting. We should audition for it. She was like, if we don't like it, we can just quit. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, okay. When I started taking dance classes, the main dance professor was like, wow, you are natural. And she was like, read these books, watch these videos, and like, see if this is something that you wanted to, you know, get more into. And I progressed into it. And that's sort of when all the dance started to take off. But when I did talk to my family about it, my mom and my dad were not necessarily uh, keen to the idea. And there, I faced a lot of opposition, right? My dad was like, who says you're going to make it? Like, why do you want to be a dancer? There's no money in that. I mean, the money situation, he's probably right about. <laughs> but um, I could definitely see that me taking on a career that wasn't traditionally masculine in my household and in society was something that my father was really opposed to. So I, I face adversity automatically. The thing that drew me to dance and why I kept going, regardless of what anyone in my family thought, was that I felt that there was a place of freedom in dance, that I was able to express myself in a way that transcended words. 
that I was sort of able to link what was going on in my body and in my mind and, and like really just, I don't know, express all of those things, whether they were good, bad, all these emotions, it, it, it allowed me to just really be free. And that's really incredible that you didn't start until you were 19. You're a true prodigy. I worked hard though, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I had some, I was gifted in certain areas of dance, but I also like busted my ass. Tell us a little bit more about your show, Genderosity. Yeah, Genderosity is a show that came to me when I was in Paris doing transformation workshops at the Pompidou. I was working with a visual artist who was working with the Voking Ballroom scene, kids who were in Paris. They had created this new scene. They were totally obsessed with Paris's burning. And, it, and essentially, I thought they were sort of replicating it. But what I was able to later see after spending time with them that, yeah, they were trying to create safe spaces where they could just exist and explore gender identity and gender expression and come together in a, in a common space. So I was teaching these workshops on transformation and sort of I had four hours, like three times that week to sort of do whatever I wanted. And so I had sort of a makeshift makeup table. I had some lighting. There was a video projector. I started to just put all these random pieces together. So I started playing movies that I would watch when I would get ready in drag. And I sort of would do the transformation. And at certain points in my drag transformation, I would get up and physicalize certain things in randomness of transforming myself from Donald to, to Francesca. And then after I, would, I was talking to these random people who were just at the museum that day. And these young gay men, probably 18, 19, were saying that they felt they were ostracized in their community because they did drag. And people in their community looked down upon them. And when they would go to gay bars dressed up, they would be made fun of and or like kicked out, you know? There were just a lot of things that I identified with, with these young men. And all of a sudden, I just continued to start writing my experiences of why I started doing drag, how I started doing drag, how... I was perceived in the world by people in my community and outside of my community. And so all of this experience that I had from these workshops, I was just like, whoa, there's something in this. And so I proceeded to just continue to like make and mold the show. And so the show really explores um, my narrative of being a gender nonconformist and really giving an audience in commercial theater an experience of someone who's a gender nonconformist. Oftentimes in commercial theater, someone who's gender nonconforming is a clown, is a gesture. In order for me to exist, I need to make you laugh in order to feel comfortable with me. And I was like, well, I didn't identify with those characters, although that's sort of all that there was. So I said, I needed to make this. I needed to express my thoughts and my feelings that I wasn't gonna wait for someone else to write my own story. So genderosity looks at the physical transformation of drag, but it also juxtaposes um, someone who is a drag queen with giving them a real life experience of um, I faced a potential threatening altercation of an, of an attack while being in drag in my neighborhood in Bushwick. Got almost attacked by four guys in a car. They followed me down the street. They like, I tried to run away. They still kept driving, you know. Um, I talk about internalized homophobia in the show, gay guys who won't date me because I'm a drag queen. We talk about like all of that in the show. And then, yes, we do celebrate being able to present yourself however you want to in the world. So that's a lot to tackle in 70 minutes. Yeah, I mean, so we obviously we, we dissect that by sometimes that information will be given to you with a song that I sing or a monologue or what you see on the screen. So the multimedia sort of is a hybrid of all of these experiences in 70 minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. 
at what point in your dance journey you know like so you're 19 you discover you you know you love dance and you want to pursue it more at what point do you start doing drag yeah i mean by the time I had gotten to college, I started, I was living in Philadelphia. So I was going to the neighborhood, as they called it. I was going to Woody's. I was going to Uncle's. I was going to Tavern on Kamak. And when I moved to Philadelphia, I was able to really get into the drag scene. And I was going to shows at 12 Fair Command. And I was always in all of these, these drag performers. They were like so brave and courageous and fierce. And I love that. Like I was just, I'd never seen anything like it. And then there was um, a show over in sort of by South Street, like 17th over there, called Bob and Barbara's. And this was a, a place that had a drag show that combined everybody, gay people, queer people, straight people, and these amazing drag and trans performers. And so that's where I sort of like really fell in love with drag. Dance at the time was really gendered. Men dance with the men, women dance with the women. There were, cert there were so many specific gender roles and gender norms that one had to adhere to being a dancer. And I was like, this is, wow, this is really, like, this is really codified. I don't necessarily know how I feel about that. But I was going out to the gay clubs in the neighborhood, And so I was able to sort of see all of these different things happening around me. And so those experiences with drag and being in the LGBTQIA community in Philadelphia really inspired me to want to do drag. But I didn't know how to do any of that. Like, I didn't know where you got a wig. I didn't know where you went to go get makeup. I wasn't comfortable going into those spaces and, like, getting everything by myself. And so when I got to New York, I started going to the Halloween parade and gay pride, and I would take pictures. And so for years, I was taking, collecting all of these pictures, being, like, in the trenches with everyone. And so then one year, I finally just decided that I was, that I was going to do drag. So I did drag in New York on Halloween, and it sort of became... Halloween and gay pride thing and then I was just so inspired by how I felt on those in those moments of me doing drag that I said I, it was something that I wanted to continue to do. You mentioned earlier internalized homophobia in the gay community and I think that that's like an overarching narrative of just misogyny and patriarchy in all the communities because even if a straight identifying man wants to wear a dress like Oh, no, you know, super taboo. And I think like drag is one of the most visible forms of pushing back against that. Why do you think that drag and gender nonconformity across the board are important? I think that drag and gender nonconformity is super important because it breaks down the patriarchy, right? It, it breaks down the misogyny. You know, it breaks down all of those barriers. Um, and what it does, it creates visibility. So it allows people to be in a space, whether it's in a contained space like a nightclub, that sort of is really accepting of those ideas and values. And it gives people like me the courage to like live and exist in those spaces and then take those out into the world. And if we don't have visibility, then we don't exist. And then the patriarchy and the misogyny gets to stay there. But by people being visible, who are sort of pushing against those norms, those cis heteronormative norms, it chips, it chips away at it. You know, because it inspires other people to say, oh, I can do that, too. You know, are we at a place where we like I feel completely safe being a gender nonconformist walking down the street? Absolutely not. You know, and yes, it is about making smart decisions. But yeah, it's super important because it breaks all of that down. And it's so funny to me because like I talk about this all the time. We talk about this all the time about how men have been wearing dresses 
forever like low-key a loincloth is a skirt sorry y'all so like (laughs) it's been happening and it's also really funny to me because you know I identify as gender non-conforming as well or as a gender non-conformist and when I dress in a suit no one gives a shit I'm dressing masculinely of course I am like duh or like nobody even sees me but as soon as anyone in my life that is what society views as masculine puts on a skirt or a dress it's the end of the world and it's disgusting and it's just such a funny double standard of how femininity in general is so threatening so threatening for no reason like it is the end of the world if anyone dares to play with that yeah, I don't know. I meant uh, there's definitely femphobia, you know, that exists in so many different ways. So it's like cis heteronormative male doesn't want the woman to be in charge because then that chips away at his power. You know, someone like myself being gender nonconforming, wearing a dress chips away at his femphobia, right? Because then it's like that person is perceivably like losing power. All of the systems and the structures that say that, you know, that they're okay presenting myself in that way says you know this person's and they have to like internalize that and it's fear which is such trash because like kurt cobain wearing dresses i don't know what the fuck prince was wearing (laughs) david bowie like you know these are just modern yeah modern icons who were just like fuck it you know and thank goodness for them because it paved the way for all of us and like allowed us all to see and like there are cis heteronormative identifying people that are like fuck yeah like here for Prince, love the blouse, you know? Right. <laughs> like, can we all just? What would you say to someone who is facing this kind of pushback, who feels like they can't occupy certain spaces unless they adopt the habits and the mannerisms of a, you know, cisgendered, heteronormative male? I mean, it's definitely about finding that community. If you can't find it, build your own community. Reach out to people. We have so many spaces via the internet that weren't there when I was coming up. You know, I literally had to like go to an actual physical space, you know, but now we have cyber communities that, you know, you can ask questions. You can like say, okay, we are here. Where can we meet up? And then, you know, once again, it's it's being visible, you know, and it's like, if you can't be in those spaces, well, maybe that's not the space for me. Like for me, I'll just speak for myself. It's like, Right. Like with my show, it's like, well, if if these theater spaces are not going to have me because I don't fit into their roles and their norms, then I'm going to create my own space. And it's like if you build it, they will come, you know, and um, that's just sort of been my experience. And also like find allies and accomplice, you know, like find someone in those spaces, you know, that you can go to and say this isn't right, you know, and you do need help or help me by listening to me or researching about trans issues, LGBTQA issues, you know, to say, how can we go to the president of the company? Or how can we create um, an awareness workshop at work, you know, so that we can have things like tolerance and acceptance in the workplace? You're doing so many things. You're dancing, you have your show, you have your production company, and all of these things. What's next for you? Like, what's your next project that you're excited about? Or are you allowed to tell us? Uh, No, my next project that I'm doing actually right now is I'm working with PBS. I'm co-hosting a show called First Person, which is about 
expanding LGBTQIA narratives as they relate to intersectional topics, race, religion, gender identity. This season, this is the second season, I was a guest on the first season, and now I'm a host, co-host for the second season. It's been great to see the show progress because it really is about diversity. We have four hosts. You know, we're covering so many different topics and we're expanding the narratives, you know, and we're also working with the Department of Education, which is really amazing because yeah. they've taken um, these episodes and they have created a curriculum that superintendents, teachers and other educators in the New York Education Department are like reviewing to go over so that they can have language to understand, you know, who we are and you know that if they have students or families you know that that we can sort of address it all together so that's like really amazing i'm really super psyched about that and yeah i'm, I'm working um i'm working in the dance department at tish now and so that once again like me being in those educational spaces is about me being visible right so i just taught a dance new media workshop last week in a dress and these 26 girls from various parts of the country who were like 18 like didn't even blink twice you know and so it's like, yes, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm presenting myself how I would normally, but it's, it's like, how can I make myself visible so that now hopefully these girls are aware and if they, they can be allies and accomplice to maybe friends and family, you know, or be inspired to present themselves however they want to in the world. So that's like my secret agent plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. The work you're doing is so important and we are so thankful to have had you here today where can we so we can see you on pbs where else can people follow you find you interact with what you're doing absolutely so you can check out um season two and season one um a first person pbs on youtube or on facebook and then for my social media personal tags you can find me at don xmen that's d-o-n-x-m-e-n on instagram and um, you can check out everything that's happening with generosity. Um, you can find all of that on Facebook. So, yeah. What about Glitterati? Glitterati Productions. Um, <laughs> we're actually working our branding situation right now. Um, but Glitterati Productions, you can check out via the hashtag on all social media. So I have some exciting projects coming up actually right now. I can't necessarily release that right now. But I can say that I recently started working with Sasha Velour. So yeah. we recently dropped an interview that we did with her. So I'm super excited. So Insert you... tongue pop here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm across the board in so many different facets of, of social media and theater. And so we'll have all of those links for you guys. Can and Francesca yeah. say hi? Hi. <laughs> I love her. Yes. You've seen Francesca. Yes, I have. She's the best. You, she's had the Francesca experience. Yeah. 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 Everyone else, you definitely want it. Go and get it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. Donald, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Catherine. you for having thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Catherine, thank you so much for just being oh, thank you <laughs> tina for being as well shout out to darren our producer hey. on the ones and twos <laughs> uh yeah guys we'll uh, have all the info for you if you have any questions thoughts ideas slide into them dms teleport into the dm no <laughs> topic we're talking about that <laughs> guys like look side note china just like successfully teleported Particle teleportation is real. Tina is not happy about it. On that note, bye. 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 <laughs>